Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Jay, and I get the chance to bring the word today. So uh, I invite you to take your Bibles, turn, turn to John chapter 5. So three stories. I'm going to tell you three quick stories. Listen for the common theme. When I was in high school, uh, this would have been the early 90s. You folks who can remember back to the early 90s, remember what a Pontiac Fiero is. If you don't know Pontiac Fiero, imagine a car comparably the size of a VW Bug, maybe a little longer, but in the shape of a wedge. Uh, So, I mean, at the most, this thing stood like this far off the ground. Our history teacher had one, and uh, she she, she was a lot of, she was a fun history teacher, and she was also very, very rigorous academically. And so to get back at her once at the end of the year, eight of us, went out and picked up that Fiero and walked it around to the other side of the building. Um, and so when she came out, she thought someone had stolen her car. And it was fantastic. That's story number one. Story number two. I'm 16 years old, and I just went to work for a plasterer. And I was, you know, when you're 16, I, I, I could work hard, but you're only so strong, you know, when you're, when you're 16. And, uh, you know, you get your man strength later on when you're, when, you're, when you're in your 20s. And so when you fill a bucket with stucco, it weighs, and you're only supposed to fill them halfway, uh, it, it weighs about ah, 40 to 50 pounds. You know, when you fill it all the way, do the math. So uh, a good way to teach a laborer to labor is to let him uh, make mistakes. And so my boss, the first day on the job, first day on the job said, you take the brush, you swirl some water on the sides, you fill the bucket, and then, uh, and then you give it to me like this. And he showed me how to give it. You go, your left hand holds the handle up, and the bottom hand sort of launches it up, and he grabs it, and the momentum keeps it going up, and it's easy. What he didn't tell me was to fill the bucket halfway. Uh, so I filled the bucket the whole way, um, and summarily, like, almost killed myself moving it. Furthermore, we needed to move it from here down to there, like 30 feet away. And he was like, take it down there. Uh, and he said, take two buckets. Um, so I filled another one. He still hadn't told me to fill them halfway. Uh, so I had two 100-pound buckets and just, I mean, I was, I was dying, but I was going to make this happen. Uh, I was just absolutely dying. And uh, everybody was watching. Laborers, first day on the job, you know, uh, so it was fun. Um, and just sort of out of nowhere, these, the buckets got lighter. And what had happened is my boss, laughing, had nodded at one of the other guys also laughing. And I, had, I was like this. And so Dave came here and Mike came here. And they both grabbed the other side of the handles. And suddenly everything became perfectly easy. And we like just trotted down 30 feet. That's story number two. Story number three. I really enjoy mowing the lawn. How many of you here enjoy mowing your lawn? I, I love to mow my, my lawn. It's a time of solitude. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you can think. It's just you and the, and the mower. Um, so my, my goal when I retire someday is to find a lot of grass to mow. Like I would love to have a job like South Hills, you know, we're just, you just mow grass all day long. So when I retire, when I'm 85, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to mow grass. Um, me and Dennis had the same retirement plan. Uh, so uh, unfortunately though, sometimes, um, I, I can't, you know, life gets busy and this week was, was, was one of those busyness times, but our grass really needed to be mowed. So I called Sherry and said, please ask Trey 
to mow the lawn. And the lawn got mowed. What's the common theme in all those stories? Teamwork. Partnership. That's right. And in one of the, in one of the teamwork stories, in one of the partnership stories, one of the partners didn't even need to be present for what it was that needed to happen that couldn't happen if there wasn't some kind of partnership that happened in and through that. Partnership is uh, both one of the greatest uh, opportunities that we have to experience life and goodness and joy. And for also, for some reason, it's something that we tend to stay away from. Uh, as, as people who are raised as independent, you know, American, Western mindset, we should be able to do things on our own. We should be able to make things happen. We should be able to perform well without being overly reliant on anyone else. However, there is no one in this room who got to where you are today by yourself. And we can say that by virtue of the fact that you're sitting there breathing. Thankfully, the person who birthed you was willing to partner with you, right, in bringing you e even into the world. Uh, we, we, we live in a day-by-day -day existence with an inability to actually live on our own. Like, the capacity isn't there. W without partnership, without teamwork, without a, a mutual moving in the same direction, and we can talk, we can tell stories till we're, we're blue in the face. A, uh, the buckets stay too heavy, right? and, you, and you can't get done what it is that needs to be done. Or B, what it is that needs to be done can't be executed in a way that it helps other people. So you're actually, by helping some, when you partner with someone to then accomplish something for someone else, what that means is then the partnership extends itself. So me working with you in order to help them actually brings a level of partnership between us that partners us with others. How many times after like a ministry service opportunity have we said things like, I felt as ministered to by the people that I was supposed to be ministering to as I did accomplish anything on my own? Right? That's, that, that, that's the beauty of what partnership, excuse me, of what partnership is. And today I want to talk about partnership. I want to talk about team. I want to talk about what it means for us to be the people of God like Jesus partners. So I, I want to take it from the tack of, of sonship. So, and, and what it means for us to, uh, to be sons. So, so you're, you're already at John 5, um, which is great. Stay there. But while you stay there, um, listen to these uh, uh, three other verses. I'm going to read them for you. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Can you see... The partnership in that? If we are united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, Paul says it like this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For if you died... And your life is hidden with Christ, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In the book of 2 Peter, Peter says it like this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In all of these passages, the word with is used really, really strongly. So it's the idea of partnership and being with God is the very part of our like theological reality. What it means for you to be a follower of Jesus is set in the context of withness. So much of our salvation is about individuals getting to go to heaven someday so that we think that at the end of all things, God's goal is happy humans in a happy place. However, that's not the end of all things. What's the end of all things? Come on, folks, you know this. A new heaven and a new earth. At the end of all things, is not happy humans in a happy place with wings on and harps. Right? The, the, the end of all things is, is a new creation. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Does that mean that you get to experience glory? Sure, the scriptures make that really clear. However, if God is setting us up for new heaven and new earth, well, new heaven and new earth, that actually engages not just who we are in like a, oh, isn't it nice? to be in heaven and to be enjoying things forever, which to a lot of people sounds like torture. When in reality, we're being set up for actually what life was meant to be. And we're all going to be there together, continuing to partner in worship toward God. Partnership is what eternity will be. Partnership is... Therefore, something that we can experience now in extremely life-giving ways. And it, it, it actually translates God's heart more deeply to us. Look at John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. This is verse 1. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. <laughs> That's awesome. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Does anybody else think that Jesus is exceedingly rude? 38 years. Dude hasn't walked in 38 years. And Jesus asks a question like that. Like, go to Hershey, walk to the oncology ward. Hey, do you want to get rid of your cancer? You don't don't say that. That's interesting. However, this is Jesus we're talking about. So it's not rudeness at all. It's a question of, like, to, to, to what degree are you invalid or are you, person at Cornerstone today, willing to partner with God, even if it's by faith, in what it is that you could never see come to pass on your own? What are the kind of things that you're hoping for 
that you are praying for, that Jesus is saying, have, have you thought about this? Have you considered partnership with me in, in this way? Do you want to be healed? The man says, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Right, so so here's, this, here's this incredible partnership between this man and Jesus, where actually all that's being partnered with is this guy's story. Like, so so do, you, do you want to be healed? Yes, I want to be healed. But I haven't been able to do what needs to be done in order to get that healing. And, they, and then Jesus, by virtue of his faith, says, so get up and be healed. It continues. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, that's rude. Right? If we're talking about rude. Or that's, that's like the height of rude. Dude hasn't walked for 38 years. Has one thing probably to his possessions. His, his mat. He gets up. Picks it up. And they immediately judge him. For not being religious enough. For not getting it right. It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Who's giving commands to break the Sabbath around here? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews are persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. What is that? That's partnership. That's partnership. So they come to him, verse 18, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son does nothing of his own accord, but only does what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you also may marvel." For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. So there is this flow, apparently, that Jesus has with God, whereby Jesus is living his life connected to the Lord. Jesus is not saying, this is, this is crucial, right? Jesus is not saying to God, God, what do you want me to do? Everybody get that? Jesus is not asking his father, what do you want me to do? Jesus is asking his father, what are you already doing? What is the work that you have initiated, and how can I join you in that? What is the work that you've initiated, and how can I join you in that? 
That's a big difference. See, I think a lot of us live our Christian lives like this. We, we get saved, we come to faith in Christ, and now we have a relationship with God. And we enjoy that relationship for a while. At least that's what we're told we're allowed to do. Like, hey, you're a baby Christian, just come, like, enjoy God and uh, enjoy us. Um, at some point, you're going to need to start, like, working though. And, and the way that you get to start working is you, uh, um, you grow, and as you grow, you learn things, like what it is that God wants from you. Which literally means, like, you get saved, and then you grow up in Jesus a little bit, and then you work for God. So it's quite literally like God saves you, and it's easy to translate that into so that you can work for him. Now, we've taught sonship here a lot. You've heard me teach sonship here uh, a a lot over the years. Um, And I believe in sonship with everything in me. Because that construct is, uh, well, I would suggest that that's the basis for a spirit of religion. That God saves you in order for you to work for him. And I think a lot of given a lot of us are given that, both, I mean, just blatantly, I think we're told that, um, but I think it's, it's, it's caught more than it's taught, uh, that, that the way you please God is, is by getting stuff done. So sonship says that you're fully approved, you're fully favored, you're fully, you're fully pleasing to the Lord, not because you work for God, but rather because you just simply belong to him. Because you're his. And in the same way that, like, if, you, uh, if you're a parent, you don't love your child based on what it is that they do. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't love Trey more or less based on whether or not the, the yard got mowed yesterday. Right? The, love's not the question. That, that, that's not the point. There, there, there isn't a, a shift in standing based on how it is that we perform for the Lord or what it is that we get done or don't get done. And I think that that's extremely freeing to a lot of us, who were raised the other way, where we were told that it is about getting stuff done for God. I think a lot of us were even told, like, God loves you so much that he died for you. The rest of your life needs to be one big thank you letter, for, letter to him. That's why you serve God. You serve God because he saved you. You serve God because he saved you. Folks, you don't serve God because he saved you. You serve God because he's God. I'm going to say that again. I don't know that that connected. You don't serve God because he saved you. This is not a transactional conversation. You serve God because he is God. Now, I think a lot of us still in that construct can build the relationship the wrong way. Because now, okay, Jay, thanks for relieving the pressure from, like, I've got to work to earn God's love. However, what oftentimes that becomes then is now God is my boss. So you serve God because he's God. Well, that means God's the boss, and now I'm his employee. So the relationship has changed. However, it's just as dysfunctional because God's not your boss. Remember the prodigal sons, both boys who were lost? They both hatched the same plan. The younger son came back and said, Dad, just let me work for you. The older son said, Dad, all these years I've worked for you. They both had a picture of God as as their taskmaster, of God as their boss. And, And that's a false construct too. 
So we serve God because he's God doesn't mean then that he's a taskmaster or that he's a, a, a chess master or that he just simply set things in motion and in some twisted form of deism is just sort of like, now get it all right. I'm here if you ever need me. But I think a lot of us serve like that and then the serving gets very heavy. And before we know it, we start like losing joy in what it is that God calls us to be about. We don't see this in the life of Christ. We don't see that Jesus earned his favor through working for God. We also don't see that Jesus ever had any picture for God except that of Father. Which means he's fully loved and accepted. He's fully at rest with who he is in God and with what it is that God is calling him to be about. But it's and he certainly is working. I mean, that's what he just said in John 5. But he's working with God in a partnership kind of a way where it's about serving with the Lord because serving with God, serving with Christ, being in partnership with God is actually our greatest opportunity. It's what we were quite literally made for. And it's the fullness of what it means, I think, to actually be a son. Paul talks about this. Is this thing on? There we go. Uh, Paul talks about this in a number of different places. 1 Corinthians 3. He says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Let's say that phrase together. We are God's fellow workers. What does that mean God is? God's a worker. This is important. We are God's fellow workers. It does not say God's the foreman and you're the laborer. We, we, are, we are fellow workers with God. We play our roles, don't get me wrong. However, what he's not building here is a construct of anything other than a family. Working together. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Uh, next, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, how? Through us. God making his appeal through us. That's partnership. We implore you. Or we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be become the righteousness of God. Working together, how? With him. Right, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Right, we, we are making God's appeal. He chooses. He's delighted. God is overjoyed to partner with you, to work in you, and to work through you, so that what it is that we do with God becomes not a source of heaviness, but rather a source of joy. How can this work? And what might this look like? All right, so let's talk about um, the idea of sonship here. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got kids, and I want to raise them in a way that it draws out the fullness of who they are. I hope that we would all want that, as God graces us with that. I hope that we would all want to be raised to be fully who we are. So if, as a good father... I love my kids. I do so like exactly like we would picture. I love them. 
Uh, they have my favor. I'm pleased with them. They're just my kids. I love them because they belong to me. And I'm just so happy. I'm so happy that God gave them. They're one of the greatest gifts in, in the world. You know, and yeah, they can drive you nuts from time to time. But it's all right because we, we love each other. We're a family. This is what we do. And they, they can't earn my love. Right? They, they, they can't lose my love. We can have difficulties and we can have ups and downs emotionally. But when it comes down to it, whether or not they're loved, whether or not, whether or not I'm ever going to choose to uh, relate to them, um, that, that's not a question. There's nothing that my kids can do that can affect so much that I'm just going to break off this relationship. And no matter how hard it is that things might get, I'm always going to be their dad. And no matter how hard things might get, they're always going to be my child. And no matter what happens in our life and in our world, I'm always, always going to seek the fullness of the relationship that we can experience it to the degree uh, of, of whatever that means for where they are in life. So, so much of, of what we're called to in our sonship is exactly that. We relate to God. And God loves you. You're his child. He's your father. There's nothing you can ever do to change that. You're completely and absolutely secure. Um, no matter how hard things get, no matter how rough things are, uh, God's not ever going to bail on you. He's always with you. He loves you perfectly. And for a lot of us who, uh, who might have been told other things, like God's pleased with you when you're pleasing to him, and that's the only time he's pleased with you, to hear things like, no, God's favor always rests on you, and he actually, anytime you feel his discipline, it's because his favor is on you. When, when, when that hits our spirit, we oftentimes are sort of like, oh, that's amazing. Like, Thank you, Lord. When that can transform you, and when you can take off, like needing to present a certain image to the Lord, or when you can take off the weight of, of uh, trying to prove why it is that you're lovely or worthy enough to be loved, when you can dispose of those things, it's oftentimes sort of like, man, just let me stay here. I don't ever want to leave this place of rest with God. However, back to the parenting construct. If I called Sherry yesterday and said, Sherry, have Trey mow the lawn. And if Sherry said, uh, Trey said, he's really, really thankful that you're going to love him all the time. But no. Well, we've got an issue here. Worse yet, if... Sherry says to Trey, mow the lawn, and Trey says, you know, I really just think I would enjoy it more if I just don't mow the lawn, and then I do it, like, when I want to. I'll think about it, I'll pray about it, I'll see what it is that I feel about it when I feel like it, then I'll mow the lawn. We have another problem. If, furthermore, if Trey grows up to be an adult and has his own lawn someday and sits in his house and plays Xbox all day long, all summer, and grows a veritable forest in his yard. Something is off, right? Something is wrong. Oh, but he relates so well to his father. Yeah, but the grass is a foot tall, you know, and it's starting to go to seed. Something is going on here. Something is off. As a dad, I don't send an email to my son or a text to my son that says, son, you didn't mow the lawn. I no longer love you anymore. Nope, that's ridiculous. 
However, as a dad, I say to my son, son, the lawn's got to get mowed. And it needs to be mowed by the, t- by the time I get home. And that needs to happen. Why does that need to happen? Why does that need to happen? Do Trey's value systems need to align with mowing the lawn at this point in his life? No. Nope, they don't. Who does Trey's value systems need to align with, though? My value systems. Why? Because I'm dad. Right? Because I'm dad. And as dad, what that means is I have a certain value system, which is to keep the lawn mowed and to keep the place looking nice. And I invite my children into that work that's already going on in me. So my value system expresses my work. And so I actually invite them to relate to me to get to know my value system. I also then invite them to reveal my nature as they go and mow the lawn. Because they can sit there till they're blue in the face and go, Dad, we really believe that we should help you with mowing the lawn. And I could say, I really need your help mowing the lawn. I want to make my appeal through you for short grass in our neighborhood. This is my value system. Now come and understand the joy of my value system. It might not make sense. It might not click. However, what I am doing is inviting my children to reveal not their own nature, which might be to sit around and play Xbox all day, but rather to invite them into the stewardship of a home and the work that dad is doing so that then they can join that work, so that they themselves can feel the accomplishment of a lawn well mowed, so that they themselves can grow up to become revealers of the nature. And they're going to do it differently. I like to mow in one huge circle. Trey, in the freedom of adulthood, may mow in diagonal lines. I don't like diagonal lines. I don't want a yard that looks like a baseball field. But if you do, that's fine. Trey will establish his own way of doing things when he gets there and do it with his nuance and his flair. But he'll only learn that Right? He'll only learn that as he learns dad's nature. I am a bad dad if I let my kids sit around and learn no responsibility. If all I ever do is keep forking over the cash, paying for everything that they need, and they never pitch in to the welfare of the home or the goodness of my kingdom, uh, then I am actually doing them a deep, unloving disservice. Because their role is to relate to me and to reveal my nature in the world. And that's what our role, that, that's what sonship is with God. We relate to God, and we reveal his nature in the world around us. We serve the Lord. We're active in ministry. We're active in service, not in order to please God, and certainly not in order to relate to God. Where, can, God, can I spend time with you? Well, did you have your devotions yet today? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Which means that, like, devotions isn't spending time with God. Because only any, anything that you do to have to check off the mark of pleasure before the Lord, we, we, we tend to look at and be like, yeah, okay, if that's the case, I need to do away with that. However, what that often means then is we just sit around and get fat, dumb, and happy 
as Christians, right? Spiritually speaking, we just we just get we just get uh, completely. Uh, I was going to say out of balance, although I don't believe in balance. I believe in fullness. So we miss the fullness of what it is that God calls us to. Relate and reveal, in my opinion, let's talk about now partnership a little bit more. Relate and reveal, I think that represents two kinds of people. Some people in this room are natural relators, like just natural relators. And you can automatically think of people in your life who are natural relators. Some people in this room are natural revealers. You just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's about mission. It's about getting things done. Relating primarily values people. Right? Primarily values people. Revealing primarily values goals. So being with other people and partnership, like right here, this table experience, that's what it means to, to, uh, to be in ministry. To get stuff done, that's what it means to be in ministry. Relating can easily struggle with narcissism. Aren't we awesome? And doesn't God love us? Revealing can struggle with cynicism where there's division based around, like, if there's just so much stuff to get done, and screw relating, because we've got so much stuff to get done. If you're not exhausted at the end of your day from working for God, then you haven't been working for God. The, the far corner is isolate, which is really dangerous. It values fear, and it leads you into fatalism or nihilism. Now, I would suggest that both relating and revealing, relators and revealers, need one another deeply, because this is a healthy continuum. To be at either one of the poles is not. But when we relate to one another and reveal God's nature to one another, when we relate to God and reveal his nature in the world, we become collaborators. If you take one of those L's out of the word, what word do you see? Co-laborer. This is a Bible word. Collaboration has been absconded by the business and education communities. And it's sad because it's, it's a biblical word. This word co-labor is exactly what Paul uses when he says we're fellow workers with God. He says we are co-laborers with God. So collaboration primarily values unity birthed from oneness. It's got a foundation of something that's held in our relationship to God, and we live that out in a unity revealing God's nature in the world around us with one another. And it struggles with division. It struggles with division in the body of Christ. Healthy leadership and healthy ministry works not on a straight line, but in sort of like a sine wave, where we weave back and forth in our sonship, relating, revealing, relating, revealing, never fully losing relating, never fully losing revealing, but rather in the movement when we relate to one another, we embrace vulnerability. And when we work together at a project or to get something done, we stay focused. So that, as sons of God, we are certainly not basing whether or not God is willing to relate to us on whether or not we get stuff done. We are also not getting stuff done at the expense of like, relating to the Lord first. See, there, there is an order in this. There is an order. We, we relate to God in order to reveal his nature in the world around us. When we reveal God's nature and then choose to relate to him, 
it's usually the work that we're doing that's then defining who God is. Instead of God himself and relating to him, defining who we are. In the Garden of Eden, God put two things. Well, he put a lot of things, sorry. But for the purpose of today's sermon, two key things that were made before the fall. Number one is family. Number two is work. So he put a family in the garden, and then he gave them work to do. And it says that God came down in the cool of the evening, and they walked together in the cool of the evening. But Adam and Eve also tended the garden and worked the ground. They related. They revealed. Did you ever notice the rhythm of Christ? The rhythm of Christ is to get away from the crowds. It just seemed like Jesus' singular goal was to get away from people in order to go to the mountain and be with God. And when he did that, where would he go? He would go back to the people. And what would happen? I mean, that's where he would work. That's where he would teach. That's where he would heal. That's where he would, that's where he would change things. And there's this continuum of going up and relating, coming back and revealing, going up and relating, coming back and revealing. That is sonship. Jesus walks in the sine wave, vulnerability and focus. Vulnerability and focus. Jesus is not driven where he's proving something to anyone. He's focused. Jesus is not emotionally vomiting over the whole world. Right? He's vulnerable. And, and healthy sonship looks like this. It's this journey. So that when we just sit back and when we get spoiled and when we say, God, thanks for your love, I'm just going to sit here and feast on it, and we never take that and reveal it, then we actually haven't related to God. You hear that? When we sit back and it'd be like, God, all I want to do is relate to you. All I want to do is know you and how much you love me. I don't want to be about what it is that you've called me to do in the world around me. Then we haven't actually related to God. Because we're also called to reveal who he is in the world. So when we relate and we reveal, it leads us to what it is that Paul thanks the Philippians for. I thank my God in every remembrance, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of what? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership is the word koinonia. The word koinonia in scriptures is the word fellowship when you translate it just really, really woodenly. However, koinonia in the course of the last 40 years has gotten seriously mystified. Because we tend to think of koinonia, and there's all kinds of ways that this has been uh, um, used, but generally it's in the context of like a small group ministry, uh, is about koinonia. It's about us just coming together and loving on each other. And koinonia has gotten linked with affection and love and how I feel about you and how I feel about God at the complete expense of it being about the fact that koinonia's actual definition has to do with partnership and ministry. So koinonia carries with it both relate and reveal. Koinonia is absolutely, yes, connection and love between brothers and sisters for the purpose of movement in who God is as we reveal his nature. 
Because what it means to be a son is that you and I are tasked with responsibility in the kingdom. And this is responsibility that isn't proving our identity in Christ. It's actually received because we have identity in Christ. And then God calls us to walk that out and to reveal his nature in the world around us. In the scriptures, this is called apostling. It's called being sent. It's the idea that you and I relate to the Lord in order to reveal him so that other people can come to know him and relate to him in order to reveal him in the world around us. So that our work is not defining our relationship, but our relationship is inviting us into deep responsibility in the kingdom. So that what you and I can do is actually bring God's kingdom to pass here on earth. That when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven, he actually activates that plan through his church. He activates that plan through the world. He's, he's making things happen right here, right now, through his people. And as we relate to God and reveal God, it reveals the fullness of what it means to be a son. Because just like Jesus, we see what God is doing and we see the work that he's doing, and we join with that work. And sometimes it takes forms that we either don't want or didn't ask for or certainly did not expect. Soon after we moved to Lebanon, I was driving down State Drive. It was about like 05, 06. And uh, it was right by Wilhelm where those two connect. And uh, there was an old man who was, not State Drive, Cornwall Road, uh, or Wilhelm Cornwall Road Connect. There was an old man who was taking his trash cans out. And uh, he was struggling. Like, he was old. And he was struggling with these trash cans. Hit the brakes. I'm going to serve the Lord. And I hop out of my car. And I remember saying, can I help you with your trash cans? And he said, no. I'm just trying to reveal God's nature. He was like, he's like, uh, he's like, I'm an old man. This is one of the few things I can do. He's like, I appreciate your help. I appreciate your offer to help. But I'm going to do this. So, That's interesting. Here, I got out to work for the Lord. And the Lord, like, changed the plan. Because this guy goes on to say, however, if you want to help me, I do get lonely. Wow. And that really changed things. Stopping for two minutes to help an old man drag his trash cans out by the side of the road, that's not so big a deal. But, like, a couple hours per month, I'm a busy man. I got, I got things to do. Now that's, that, that, that's interesting. It's interesting when God changes things like that. I remember when we were uh, living in, we were living in some apartments in Boyertown. And, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, that was in Boyertown. And I, my boss and I, we were talking about, like, ministry to neighbors, because they were his apartments, he owned the apartments. 
we were talking about ministry to neighbors, and he goes, I put you guys in a special spot. I said, really, why? He goes, because my most difficult people are right over you. Um, and I was like, you want me to keep an eye on them? He's like, no, I don't want you to keep an eye on them. I want you to uh, um, lead them to Christ. Like, I'm, I'm not really in charge of that, Dave. Uh, and, and we got to talking back and forth, and I said, like, how do you want that to happen? Because these people were really something. And, uh, uh, and he, said, he said, you know, sometimes um, the best way to share the gospel is by helping your neighbor paint his shed. Other times, the best way to serve is to ask your neighbor to help you paint yours. See, I, I think that work for the Lord has a, a lot of different connotations than what we've all opened it up to be. That we, we think that it's about getting busy. And certainly, it might be. I mean, God might be calling you to go 100 miles an hour, and that's what the pace that God is moving, and that's what you need to move. Other times, God wants to rework and rewire what it means to reveal his nature in the world. The way that we think about who we are in the church and about what it means to serve God as sons requires us to be aware of this fact that we are absolutely given responsibility. And that responsibility is to be missionally minded. I mean, our lives are to be guided by the focus on what God's goals are in the world. But that comes not as a heavy weight, but that comes as a revelation of God's heart for the world. So that then when we're carrying those 100-pound buckets and they're just too darn heavy, that's why we have each other. And suddenly out of nowhere, things get a whole lot lighter when we partner together. So as Cornerstone thinks about being Cornerstone in the city of Lebanon, what is God calling this local body to by way of revealing his nature? Notice I'm talking to you together. What, what is the unique thing that you bring to Lebanon? What, what is the gifting that God's placed on this local body of Christ that empowers us to be fully who God made us to be? That as we reveal, as we relate to God and hear what it is that he's told us, we actually move forward. Furthermore, are we willing to let him rework what it means to serve them? So that just like with that old guy with the trash cans, like God can say, it might not look the way that you think that it does. To be fully sons means that we fully relate. To be fully sons means that we are active in revealing. So that what and who God is and what is on his heart and the work that he's doing, we join that work in the world around us. That's sonship. And we do so without the heaviness of the responsibility lying on us. Because we're partnering with God and we're partnering with one another. And I think this question is a really serious one, and I'm hearing the Lord ask it to a number of different or congregations. What have I called you to be about? And are you being about it? Like as a body, are you being about it? What's your niche? Why has God put you here? How is he calling you to reveal? Because sonship 
deepens as we reveal the nature of who he is. We learn so much more about who he is and about what he's doing. And as we join that, we find life. And we engage in relationship with one another and life becomes full. Folks always want to talk about living life in balance. How do I live my life in balance? Everybody, listen. God is ludicrously out of balance. God does not want balance in your life. God doesn't ask for you to be balanced. He wants everything. He wants everything that you are. He desires for you to bring the fullness of who you are to him so that you can experience the fullness of who he is in you. That's what you're made for. Not balance. Stop trying to balance your kids' schedules and your schedule and Cornerstone's schedule and, and family schedule. Folks, you will never balance it. You'll just be busy. And that's no way to be. Rather, God is inviting you to levels and dimensions of fullness like you've never known. But that means life ludicrously out of balance. It means life fully for him, relating and revealing. God, thank you for what it is you've given us in Christ. Thank you for the fullness of who we are in you. Continue, God, to uh, lead us more and more deeply in knowing you, that we might reveal you, and that we might see what it is that you are about, that's birthed from your heart, that as we continue to deepen in our love and passion from your heart in relationship with you, we see what it means for us to be about your business in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.